Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is Brian uh, back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And I'm really excited today to have this guest with me. His name is David Hayward. Uh, I'm going to read his bio, then I'll, I'll introduce him. He was ordained to the ministry in 1987, and he left in 2010. He's been running the Naked Pastor blog since 2005, where he posts provocative cartoons and articles. He launched an online community called The Lasting Supper, a place for people to change without being judged or instructed, and where they can learn to be more spiritually independent. He's been cartooning, making art, writing, speaking, and coaching around his core passions, personal authentic freedom, the power to change our own lives, and the creative spirit to make our world a better place. Uh, David and his wife live in Eastern Canada, and they have three adult children. And the reason why I asked David to be here with me today, I've been a fan of David's for a long time, been following his work, and I wanted to, to let you know more about him, and I wanted to learn more about him myself. Uh, so with that, I'd like to bring in David Hayward. Hey, how are you? Good to be here, Brian. Thanks for having me on your show, and ho- hello, everybody. Yeah, it's and I am so excited to have you here, David. Uh, I, I don't even know how I found your work. I don't know if it was on Facebook or or where, but I've been following your work for quite a while. So for people that don't know, tell people what it is you do. Okay, well, um, my my work has the uh, tendency to get shared a lot. Like, so I, I have my, my cartoons that I'm drawing, but like, like I said, I, I've, uh, like you said, I, I left the ministry in 2010, but I'd started blogging in 2005 uh, with Naked Pastor. And it was, I think it was 2006 when I decided to maybe try cartooning as a way to convey my thoughts and um, ideas, feelings, whatever. And that's when Naked Pastor started getting shared and noticed and everything um, and getting me in trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so it just started just growing and growing and growing and people loving my cartoons and, uh, you know, um, my posts. And, you know, I'm also an artist and, and things. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's what I do. Basically, I. Uh, every day I, I try to draw a new cartoon. I try to write posts. I try to do videos, uh, paintings. I, I've got books out. Um, 
I do have the online community called The Lasting Supper mm-hmm. uh, for people who are questioning their beliefs and want a safe place to do that. And um, yeah, so that that keeps me very, very busy. I do that full time. Yeah. So tell me about your spiritual journey. I'm curious. Um, before you got into the ministry, when you're in uh-huh. the ministry, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I grew up in a, I would say, a, a nominally Christian home. Like I, I grew up in a Christian home. I was baptized Anglican uh, as a baby. And then um, we moved around a lot. So I never, we never went to any one certain denomination church. Uh, mm-hmm. We just went to whatever was convenient. So I actually grew up not feeling uh, like I was anything you know, like Baptist or Anglican or Catholic or whatever. Uh, we just went to the nearest, most convenient church that we liked. And as a result, um, I've experienced a lot of different uh, expressions of Christianity and, and church. And uh, it, well, it was when I was a teenager, I got like born again, <laughs> you could say, in a Baptist church, of course. And um, then from there, we went to Pentecostal, and I went to a Pentecostal Bible college. I went to seminary, ended up, uh, met my wife, Lisa, um, went into the ministry. And uh, I was ordained Presbyterian, actually, and uh, ended up in the vineyard movement. And mm-hmm. that's it was then uh, in 2010 when I, I left the ministry. So my my spiritual journey, I call myself on my own ecumenical movement because I've been in so many different, you know, denominations and churches and so on, mm-hmm. uh, even independent. So uh, it, my spiritual journey in a nutshell has been very diverse um, and nourished by all different kinds of traditions and spiritualities and so on, denominations, theologies. Mm-hmm. and uh, and it was in um, 2009 when I had this sort of epiphany moment where I just saw uh, it was, it was like a flash of insight where I just saw the oneness of all things and the interconnectivity and how we were all on a deep and fundamental level connected and united. And um, I started sharing my insights in my blog and that, was when that was 2009 Mm -hmm. and uh, that started raising eyebrows and getting attention. And it was in 2010 when I finally left the ministry because uh, it was decided that mutually that we were no longer theologically compatible, that I I was feeling grow. I was growing in a certain direction that the church no longer comfortable with. Yeah. So were you a pastor at that time? Yeah. And which church? A vineyard church. Oh, it's a vineyard church. Okay. Okay. So for those who don't know what a vineyard church is, a vineyard church is sort of an evangelical in theology, but charismatic in expression. It was very kind of laid back, a contemporary music, you mm-hmm. know, um, and uh, but it, with evangelical theology. Yeah. Yeah. I attended a vineyard church for a long time and it's, it's oh, an you? interesting denomination. Yeah. In, here yeah. in Cincinnati. Um yeah, very, very interesting denominations. You said that the casual music and the laid-back atmosphere gives you one impression, but yeah. then the underlying theology is completely different. Yeah, yeah. that's really true. That's a, a good observation, actually, where it's this sort of uh, um, 
yeah, it, it comes across as very laid back and very cool and very open and everything. And uh, underneath, though, is a theology that can be quite uh, um, shaming, um, condemning, um, exclusive, you know, and so on. So non-affirming, etc. So uh, there's there's churches around me right now that are are just like that, and I, it's sort of like uh, lining the trap with honey. If that's my opinion, yeah. and um, it's it's a it's a pretty cool trick though. It works. Yeah, because really attracted me to the church. Um, I was living in Lexington, Kentucky, which is about a hundred miles from here, and I had a friend that was going to this church in Cincinnati. I was going to move here. And he told me about this church. I'm like, it sounds really cool. They had the uh, servant evangelism where they would go in the street corner and hand out free Cokes and they do free car washes and they wouldn't ask him for any donations. It was literally free. And yeah. it was really cool to see people freak out about, you know, how, how loving and open this church was. Yeah. <laughs> but then you'd get there and realize there were certain rules and expectations and um ideologies and so on that weren't so cool there's a there's yeah. a church there's a, a church here that um it's the biggest church in the whole area and very popular and people just love it but it's uh it's 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 just like as you describe it's it's mm-hmm. got all the bells and whistles you know it's got all the smoke and mirrors and uh, you know uh dry ice and lights and yeah. cool music and equipment and staff and everything. But um, it's, it's uh, very, very strict in its theology and, and um, polity church polity. Yeah. yeah I, I've experienced the same thing and there are a couple here and it's, it's really interesting to me how successful <laughs> I'll put in air quotes, those churches are because they just draw people in. Yeah. Um, so that was your experience as well. It's interesting to to, to note that. Yeah, it, it's kind of like the Hillsong um, kind of phenomenon that's happening in the world right now. That's just uh, really gathers a lot of people. It really comes across as very cool and and uh, loving and uh, and accepting and so on. But when you get inside the machine, uh, if you're if you have any self-awareness and all at all that uh, it eventually dawns on you that there are, you know, there's things happening behind the curtain that you might not like. Yeah. yeah for me, it took a while. It took a few years actually. Um, but I oh. became, I became friends with a lot of the staff and I was, so I was friends okay. with uh, one of the, pa- one of the, and they have huge staffs, of course, yeah. uh, I was friends with one of the pastors, friends with one of the guys on the board. Uh, and I remember when I discovered universalism, you know, Christian universalism. I was so excited about it. And, you know, I started emailing some of these guys to say, you know, and there was a rumor and I won't out him, but there was a rumor that one of the pastors was a universalist, you know, a closeted universalist. Uh, but when I would email him, he was very careful about the way he would respond to the emails. Uh, yeah. Just very cautious. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I, I was fortunate uh, in that. that it, and it's, I think it's because, I grew up not feeling any uh, loyalty to any one denomination. So one of the big things that was absent from my um, vocation as a pastor was the anxiety that I had to somehow um, 
continue uh, making myself uh, um, eligible to belong to, mm-hmm. to whatever denomination. And <clears throat> so I, I always felt very free. And so I, you know, people saying you were Pentecostal, you were Baptist and you went Pentecostal, then you were Pentecostal, and you went Presbyterian, then you were Presbyterian, you went Vineyard, like it didn't matter. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter. It didn't matter to me. And it, for me, it wasn't a huge leap. And I always tended to find myself gravitating towards congregations that were quite open and, and accepting of me and that we, we could journey together and, and so on. So, um, you know, that, like the last church I was in, the Vineyard Church, I just felt uh, like I didn't have to hide anything. I didn't feel like I was lying or pretending or imposter syndrome, you know, standing in front of the people, believing one thing and teaching another. I never felt that kind of tension. And uh, fortunately, until 2009, when I had that sort of flash of insight about the oneness of all things, and mm-hmm. I started naively sharing this exciting, you know, idea. And um, I realized that I'd crossed a line I didn't know was there. Yeah. So I'm cl- curious about your flash. How, how, how did that come about? Uh, I don't know. I, that, you know, it wasn't mushrooms or acid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I often get asked, it sounds like you had a mushroom trip or whatever, but no, it was completely, you know, clean. Um, I, and, and nothing against, you know, people who might want to experiment with those things. But uh, um, I I uh, was always a very, very intense sort of searcher. And so I was constantly digging in theology because I, 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 I saw these parts, kind of like a 1,000-piece puzzle. And I couldn't figure out how to fit all the parts together. So, for example, I'll just give one example where there's a loving God who loves the whole world and, you know, etc. But then you have the exclusivity of most Christian theology where you have to believe in Jesus and you have to say this and that and behave this way and, and so on, be a part of the church. And I couldn't put all this together where um, if the whole world is being reconciled and Everyone is included in that, and all things are subsumed in that huge movement. Um, then um, how how does this work? How does this you know how do these join together? The exclusivity mm-hmm. of Christianity and the universality of the good news, let's say. Right. And 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 so I couldn't fit these two pieces together. And then you know you add to that the traditional um, view of scripture on say LGBTQ uh, and then me having LGBTQ friends who are better people than I am, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so on. So I couldn't reconcile. I had all these pieces in front of me and I couldn't reconcile them. And I spent years and years, decades actually trying to figure out how to put this puzzle together. And then in, uh, it was in 2009, it was just, I think I lied down for a nap. It was just that stupid. And, you know, I just had this, like, I just saw this uh, waterfall and I won't go into explaining the whole, all the details, but essentially I just saw that we are, there's one reality that we all experience, but we apprehend it 
through our own paradigms and through our own lenses, our own worldviews. And then we have our own languages to attempt to articulate what we think we experience. Mm -hmm. But there's just one reality. Mm -hmm. However, there's a million words. Yeah. And a million paradigms uh, attempting to describe this one reality and apprehend it and articulate it. So that to me was like, wow, it was mind blowing. And I immediately felt this peace of mind descend on me. My theological angst evaporated, never came back. And um, it was just beautiful. So I, I wanted other people to feel the same right. kind of peace of mind naively not realizing that I was stepping on all kinds of toes. So, you know, I, I, I I'm glad you shared that. And I, I'm, I'm always curious about that process um, that, you know, it, it was, as you were describing the, the thought that came to mind was born again. You know, it's like, it's, it's like that freeing thing that, that your mind opening up. Um, and I, I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with Carlton Pearson, um, but he's a, he's a pastor. He was a Pentecostal pastor. I followed him for a long time. I still think he's a great oh, yeah. guy. And yes, he had yes. he had an experience. He was watching television. He sees these kids, you know, in Africa, they're starving to death. And he prays and he says, you know, God, how could you let those children starve, those babies starve to death and then send them to hell? And he has this, you know, like this download from God, like, what makes you think I'm sending them to hell? So he discovers Christian universalism. Right. Shortening a very long story. You know, they basically kick him out of his church. He, yeah, he I saw up, the documentary. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it was great. Great. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, and I, as I, as I look at your, your cartoons and I resonate with them so much, I'm like, I'm thinking he must've been through what I went through. And I was raised as a Pentecostal. I was raised with some pretty serious spiritual abuse from the time I was a small child. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what spiritual abuse have you, have you witnessed? Cause you, you, you understand it so well. Yeah, I do. Because uh, um, there, there's the systemic uh, issues uh, that come with your church, in my opinion, is the perfect culture for abuse to occur because you have all the ingredients. You have often uh, controlling leaders or pastors, um, and they have good intentions. They want to manage people and keep them in line, you know. Uh, but you, when you have controlling pastors and you have people who are looking for intense experiences of community, uh, and then you have a theology that tends to convince us that we're guilty and uh, we need help. And, you know, we're and if you join us, then we're going to help you kind of thing. We'll fix you all. The, and there's a bunch of others. But you put all those ingredients together and you've got a perfect culture for abuse to occur. And so we call that in the church. We call that spiritual abuse. And I like you. Spent a lot of time in the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church and the Vineyard Church, Presbyterian Church, even mainline denominations have the same. I, I experienced spiritual abuse in mainline denominations and independent denominations. Um, and it's a systemic thing where it just comes with the territory. Um, in fact, it's not just a religious thing. Any any system is prone, in my opinion, towards the dehumanization of its members. You know, right down to the motor vehicle place, the DMV or whatever you call it, or you know, education, or or the hospitals, or the military, or whatever. Bureaucracy 
its gravitational pull is towards the dehumanization of its members. So I think that's why I feel it's my duty to continually call specifically the church to live up to its mandate um, that it's here to serve us. We're not here to serve it. Mm. And um, so uh, I, I was in that system as a receiver of abuse, but also as a, you know, one who dished it out, just being a part of the system. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and um, it, it began to dawn on me many, many years ago uh, when I was in the ministry that this system is prone to abuse and, and that I need to start, you know, um, changing my ideas about what community is and what are my expectations on people and uh, what about that, you know, and, and everything. And, and so I perpetuated the system up, up to the, that point uh, and the abuse that could occur, but I was also under leadership as well as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, have served under uh, spiritual leaders and experienced unbelievable spiritual abuse, my, me and my family. Uh, people, when, when I share some of my stories, people just can't believe it happened. But it does. It really does happen. And so I've, um, I, I read a book many years ago, um, and this is one of the things, one of the ingredients that started me on my journey out of uh, trying to resist systemic evil and participating in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and systemic abuse and, and so on was um, the Lucifer effect by, Z- Z- I want to say Zamboni, but that's not right. Maybe that's right. Anyway, uh, he uh, he was one of the professors who created that um, prison in at Sanford University where students were willingly yeah. uh, were the um, prisoners and other students were the jail keepers and, you know, guards and security and all that kind of thing. And um, he, and it had to be shut down within days because the students who were acting as the guards became very abusive and the prisoners, the students acting as the prisoners were being psychologically tortured and et cetera. It became a very toxic, unhealthy thing that they had to actually shut it down. And he became an expert in um, systemic abuse Mm -hmm. to the point that he became one of the lawyers um, involved with the whole Abu Ghraib situation. And um, how good upstanding citizens who were soldiers were, abusing prisoners in unbelievable ways that and it's because of the systemic pull towards the dehumanization of its members and and that's when i saw you know i could be unknowingly um naively participating in the abuse of of the church's members and it I, that's when i started pulling away from participating in the in the system and um trying to figure out ways to that we could be a healthy community 
where I'm free without violating your freedom and where you're free without violating my freedom. Yeah. And and so that to me what became a new challenge that sent me on a road to towards trying to figure out how to be um how how to build healthy communities. Yeah. That's one of those long answers you said it was okay to. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. So I do want to I do I wanted to actually go in that a little bit more cuz you said that when you tell sure. people your stories of abuse they don't believe them. So would you mind sharing one of them? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Um, well, I've had pastors who, uh, uh, because um, I, I had one pastor I served under who um, uh, he, we were in conflict, we became where we were in conflict mm -hmm. and he requested a meeting with me and um, I was very nervous because uh, I, I, I hate confrontation. I hate conflict. And um, he said, what's your problem with me? And I'm like, well, I find you very, I find you very controlling. And that's, by the way, that's the last thing you should say to a controlling pastor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he actually drove his finger into my chest. To prove that he wasn't controlling. <laughs> and he said, you need psychological help. Uh, and went on about demon possession and, you know, you name it, that that's just sort of a snapshot of mm -hmm. the kind of um, the, the nature of his leadership and, and the culture around that. Um, so, you know, that kind of behavior is very intimidating. Well, to me, it is. It's very intimidating. It's shaming, it's silencing, it's fear mongering. It's all those things that make you either have to run or uh, bow down and, and worship. You know, the, you've, right. those are the two extreme choices that you have. Right. There's no way you can navigate that with integrity and, you know, um, do the dance of leadership versus following. It just, it just doesn't work. You either have to run or uh, bow down. And so I, I chose to run. There were other situations where I served under spiritual leadership where I was, um, I was fired and removed from my home um, and my kids and my wife and I basically left in very dangerous situations mm. and um, very vulnerable situations. And um, they didn't, they don't care. They just did not care. Um, and um, so, and I have more stories like that. I could yeah. go into more detail, but maybe I should well, I appreciate you sharing just the flavor of that. You know, the the thing you said something really, really important about like this is the nature of bureaucracies. This is the nature of hierarchical systems in general. Uh, it's not the churches are, are full of bad people. These are these are good people with good intentions, yeah. but it's amped up to a, another level when it's God says. Like the other day, someone was commenting on one of my my YouTube videos, 
And they said, you know, your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God and God's word. Well, there's no way to really come back against that, right? It's like, no, you're arguing with God. You're not arguing with me. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of drawing another cartoon where somebody challenges the pastor and says, I found your sermon really kind of bullying. And, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the pastor says, actually, that's God disciplining, disciplining you as his son. It yeah. wasn't me. Right. right. And that's right. always the the tactic that they take. Anytime it's good, it's it's, you know, they take the praise. But if it's bad, it's God, you know, punishing you or whatever. Yeah. You know, if, you know, this this isn't about me, but you know, we were talking earlier about the vineyard and you, we talked about these. You were talking about the puzzle pieces. And I got I had the same feeling. You know, it's like there's all these pieces of the puzzle, but the fact is some of them just don't fit. So this idea that a God's going to send people to hell or God has created people for destruction, if you believe in Calvinism, hmm. those pieces just don't fit into the puzzle. And no. so for someone like ourselves that's trying to put this together, at some point you have to say, these just don't work. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, um, my my spiritual journey involved me moving from church to church to church. Mm -hmm. I, I pastored several churches. I planted a couple of churches, um, which means I started a couple of churches from scratch. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I kept finding a box that was big enough for me or, you know, I felt, you know, I had room. And the last church I was at, I realized, hey, there is no box, you know, and 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 it's it's basically the same with the the puzzle pieces. It's like you know what? There's no puzzle. Mm -hmm. You know they the it just the integration of of all the things right. Um, it's it's a mystery, but the anxiety of trying to figure it out and making things fit is totally gone um, yeah. because uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, that peace of mind isn't because I know the answer. The peace of mind is because I'm okay not knowing the answer now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That 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 anxiety that you have with your when you're in the church and you're disagreeing with the church because we're all human beings. We can't we can't believe everything they tell us to believe. Right, and they tell you there's something wrong with you. Right, because you won't accept what they're trying to tell you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, that's always the uh, tension is um, like I talk a lot about spiritual independence, and um, for a lot of people, their their journey in their own spiritual growth takes them to a point where they realize that they are going to put themselves in conflict with um their church or whatever. And I compare it to, I compare it to just your personal growth. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're pretty good as children um, and preteen. Things are pretty good. When we get to be teenagers and moving on towards young adult, adolescence or whatever, young adult, we start realizing um, we, we need to start working for our own freedom and autonomy, self-determination, independence. And this is going to run us into conflict with our parents, with our teachers, you know, with our bosses, whatever. Um, but this is natural. Everybody knows, oh, it's just a teen, you know, or, you know, they're just 
rebelling and, and all that kind of thing, but it's a necessary part of our growth to figure out how to be independent, how to how to develop our own unique personalities separate from our parents and, and so on and so forth. And the same thing has to happen spiritually where we get to this point where we realize if we want to continue growing, it means we're going to come into conflict, conflict with the status quo, with the general beliefs, with the spiritual authorities. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of churches, like many parents, won't stand for this rebellion. Uh, and unfortunately, um, many churches, like parents, lose connection with their people or with their kids. Mm-hmm. And I assert that if churches, like good parents, would say, okay, this is a stage, you need to figure out how to be yourself, how to think your own thoughts, how to have your own feelings, how to uh, plan your own life, how to take care of yourself. We're going to provide a safe space for you to figure that out. And we're here for you. And if churches could do that, I think we would see less of a huge migration away from the church that we're seeing right now. Yeah. I, I To just push back against that a little bit, the problem is I think churches see themselves as our parents. <laughs> they don't see <laughs> us as adults. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's supposed to be a community, a place where we can come to get and grow together. But the, the people, it's become this hierarchy where the, the supposedly God through the pastor is telling you, you know, what to do. And, and, and so I, the way I look at it now is I, you know, Jesus freed us from all that stuff. Jesus said, don't call any man your father. So um, I, I, I just, I reject that whole notion of the church is my father. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. I do too. And I think the church should reject that whole notion of leadership as well. That top-down hierarchical approach to leadership. Um, It's antiquated. It doesn't work. It, uh, it, it, uh, well, it, it it crushes the human spirit, mm-hmm. um, and it it won't allow for people to really grow. So I, I'm I'm with you there. It's it's it no longer serves. It never did, but now we're. I really do believe that it no longer serves people well. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. I, I was just watching watching a video earlier today. There was this guy was talking about how civilizations, humankind, has grown, and we have, and we've we've had to grow as humans just as we grow individually. Right. Um. So there there might have been a time when 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 that structure worked. It does. It certainly doesn't work in modern times. Uh. Yeah. It, it certainly doesn't work now. And and I, I love your your um what you do for me, and I hope you do for. I think I know you do for a lot of people. You give us permission to explore you give us permission to question 
And you make us feel like we're not alone when we feel like we're being abused. I am a, well, thank you for that. I'm glad, I'm glad um, that you, you think that because that's what I try to do. Um, but like the, what I, it, it's hard to articulate. I'm not your guru. Right. I know also said that, but I do not want to be your guru. Yeah. Or your what what I want to if if I play any role in your life at all, what I want to be able to do is for you to feel like you can empower yourself mm-hmm. to be your authentic self. And and so that to me, I don't even want to say I empower you or I allow you or you know anything like that i want to somehow if i'm in your presence to somehow inspire you or encourage you uh to empower yourself mm-hmm. to be your most authentic self and and to figure out how to how to be spiritual because it, it's like nelson mandela you know um i'm the master of my um destiny the captain of my ship right like that we all be need to be able to get to that place Mm-hmm. And we all need to, when we're around one another, be that kind of encouraging catalyst for each one of us to feel empowered to do that. And yeah. so that's what I, I try to do. My online community, The, the Lasting Supper, um, I learned very quickly um, that people, especially people who are deconstructing their beliefs, questioning their beliefs, leaving the church and so on. They are not interested for the most part. Some are, but for the most part, most people aren't interested in looking for another leader or spiritual guru or or whatever. And I learned very quickly that I do not want to play that role in anybody's life anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You know, it's interesting. I think there are people probably on both sides of that. There are people that's just like, okay, well, this is wrong. Let me find, let me find the next thing. Let me find the next leader. Let me find the next church. And a lot of us do that, right? We, we yeah. shop and shop and shop until we realize there is no, there is no perfect church. Right. Um, but uh, what what you do for me is, as I said, you, you inspire me, you make me feel not alone. You, uh, and I'm, I'm curious how you got into cartooning because it's one thing to cr- prepare a sermon, right? And that's, that's a lot of words, a lot of time. But mm. you can put in a couple of in a picture and a few words or no words, mm. just these incredibly incredible thoughts that I'll think about for the rest of the day. <laughs> That's great. Well, um, I've been an artist all my life. I mean, I grew up with art. My dad was a painter and and so on um, on on the side. And I've I've always liked a good cartoon. Um, you know, like the far side, the one frame things, mm-hmm. the far mm-hmm. side. Or, um, my gold standard for me is the New Yorker cartoons. Um, that for me is like the gold standard. So I really am. Uh, I, I, it was in 2006. There was another cartoonist I was following on on Facebook, I guess it was. And he just drew cartoons on the back of business cards and um he tried to do one every day and i thought you know why don't i try it just out of the blue i just thought why don't i try drawing cartoons see what happens Mm -hmm. and you know up to that point i was writing my blog and i'd share a painting once in a while but i started sharing my cartoons and then um 
I get started getting more traffic. Uh, I thought it would last maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And here it is 17 years later, and I'm still drawing cartoons every day. Um, they say a picture's worth a thousand words. And in some sometimes my cartoons do achieve that, where um, they say a lot in one little frame. You know, there might be words or not. And uh, I, I really appreciate the, you know, when I get an image that comes to my mind and uh i i draw it and and it reaches out and touches people that means a lot to me and i i hear from a lot of people every day you know um that are just so grateful that um they feel like they're not crazy they're not alone uh their journey is theirs you know own it um celebrate it and uh that that means a lot to me so that that's why i started cartooning um i started because I, I'm a, I am an artist. I love trying to convey stuff through art. And um, I just really get some really positive feedback for it. So, yeah. So I, I know you must get a ton of positive feedback. Do you get any pushback from people? Oh, my. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's most of the time it's water off my back, mm-hmm. like water off a duck's back. It uh, doesn't affect me. Um, and I know it's more about them than it is about me. Um, once in a while though, I get a scary one, um, that, you know, freaks me out, freaks my wife out a little bit or something. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm always a little bit surprised that people take the time to be so rude or mean or whatever. Uh, that kind of thing doesn't cross my mind where I see something I disagree with and I'm going to take the time to insult the person or scare the person. Um, I don't understand that mentality, but um, I have empathy for people who don't agree with me. And, you know, maybe I was there one time and uh, you know, um, people have different ways of expressing things for me. I, I, I feel sorry for people who feel that they have to troll me, you know, or um, harass me continually. Um, yeah. if they do, um, it's three strikes you're out, I'll block them. And, uh, if they, if they do a mean comment that's directed at me, sometimes I'll let it stay. Cause sometimes they're kind of funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, um, if, if they're being mean to other people in the community, um, or in that post or whatever, right. Like right. a gay person or a trans person or a person of color or a woman or whatever, a person, an atheist, whatever. Um, I will often delete the comment. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the same way. It, it sometimes it can be instructional, so I will yeah. leave it and I'll and I will address them and I'll even say like right out. I know I'm not going to change your mind. I'm not here to change your mind, but I want to talk to the other people that are that are witnessing this, the yeah. people who are open minded. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you know, you're when we talk about these beliefs, this is the, a problem that people make. They hold their beliefs as being them. So if if you attack their beliefs, and again, I put that in air quote, but if you challenge their beliefs, you, they feel like you're attacking them. It's a personal attack. Yeah. And that's a that's a, that's a, the sign of a small mind, frankly. People mm-hmm. that can't separate their beliefs from, from themselves. Mm-hmm. So and, and it also shows that they're insecure in their beliefs. Because if their mm-hmm. beliefs were immutable and 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 not subject to challenge, then you know they wouldn't have to defend them. There's another uh drive 
that happens, I think, is a lot of people um, feel the need to uh, save people who are following me. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. So they, they come on and say, everybody, flee. Yes. <laughs> like, I've actually had people come on and say, flee this man. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, you know, or say that. Hey everybody, this is actually heresy, and you got to stop following them and whatever. Um, so there's that need to protect others or mm-hmm. save others or um, you know warn everybody or you know whatever. So that I see a lot of that going on too. Well, I, I wear the heretic uh, label with, with as a badge of honor. I actually had a blog for a long time called the Beautiful Heresy. Uh, ah. When I just when I discovered Christian Universalism, I was like, okay, if this is heresy, I'm all in. You know, and I look at it, we're in good company. They called Jesus a heretic. They said, you know, they said Jesus cast out demons, you know, by the devil. So we're in good company. Yeah. It, it, heresy just means basically other. You're, you know, you're, you're not believing according to the status quo and you're going against the flow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I, I early in my adulthood, when I was studying, you know, theology and and all that, I was very nervous about people discovering my heretical ideas or whatever. But um, you know, it's 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 gotten to the point now where I realize, in order to be my authentic self and to really pursue the truth and try to understand it, then that you're just going to be labeled that. It's it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's what a topic I want to talk to you about because I asked you for a list of topics and you you put in the word deconstruction for first I want to explain to people that don't know I'd like for you to explain what deconstruction means to you okay. and why you think it's important. So, um, back in 2008, I was required or invited to go to uh, um, invited with expectation to go. <laughs> I was invited to go to a, a weekend workshop seminar on um, hermeneutics, uh, and it was it was in the vineyard, and there was about I don't know there might have been about a dozen of us at this um, you know um, retreat center, mm-hmm. and there was a theologian flown in, and and the the whole and we were to read a stack of books on hermeneutics how to how to interpret the Bible. Mm-hmm. And they were all anti-deconstruction. Um, so mm-hmm. the deconstruction movement uh, is a philosophical movement, again, with Derrida in France, a uh, French philosopher, basically where you question everything. You question the text. You question the intent of the author. You, you question how it's received, how it's transmitted. Everything is questioned. And um, that there's no... There's no objective truth in the text. There's just so many layers and uh, intentions and motives and, you know, all kinds of things. And um, the the whole point of the weekend was to uh, turn us off or to warn us against deconstruction when it had the exact opposite effect on me. Because I thought this is exactly how I'm experiencing (laughs) my spirituality right now. And so, and and my approach to the Bible and everything, because I grew up, the Bible was it, like, n- number one. I 
I studied Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and theological French, theological German. I was going to be a Bible scholar and I started my PhD in biblical studies and, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. I was totally in the deep end when it came to the Bible. But um, I was reading all this. And I thought <coughs> all my questions about the Bible and everything, the faith, all the, I'm, I'm questioning everything. And deconstruction is a perfect word for it which just basically means instead of construction, building something, you're deconstructing, you're tearing it all down. And um, that's how I was experiencing my my spiritual journey at that time. I was questioning everything and tearing everything down, not only to the foundations, but even the foundation itself. Yeah. And so I started kind of using that word and people were saying, you sound like a deconstructionist. And they meant it as an insult, but I took it as a compliment. Mm -hmm. But that was back in 2008. Mm. And um, I left the ministry 2010 because I was experiencing a lot of loneliness, as happens with people who leave the church. Um, and I saw a lot of other people experiencing the thing, same thing. Excuse me. In 2012, I, I launched The Lasting Supper, my online community for people who are deconstructing. Mm. And um, more and more people were using the word and so on and so forth. So to the point now where everybody's using the word deconstruction. Right. And, right. Yeah. And um, to, to describe the questioning of their beliefs, everything from, you know, did, um, was Jonah swallowed by a great fish all the way to, is there a God? Right. right. So it, it, it can be everything, anything. Um, deconstruction is where you basically, take apart yeah. uh, your your beliefs or that your beliefs are being eroded somehow for some reason. And um, so that's, I use that word deconstruction to describe that traumatic yeah. process. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatic. You use that word. So did you ever find deconstruction to be scary? Well, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. I got a little thing in my throat. Um, my deconstruction began when I was graduating from seminary. I'd nope. I'd read a I'd I'd been reading, and here I was graduating with a um, cum laude with a a degree in a master's in New Testament studies, mm -hmm. and um, I was heading for my PhD. And I'd been doing some reading recently, though, where I started questioning the inspiration of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Now I was at an evangelical seminary. Uh, where the inspiration of scripture was not only taught but assumed, and so the the big the three big eyes infallible, inspired, in, um, and infallible, inspired, and in in infallible, inspired, and what's the third one? Infallible, inspired, inerrant, inerrant. Yes, yes, yes. and um. Uh, I, I was actually so shooken up that my wife had to grab me by the shoulder and say, you've got to go to graduation. I had my robe on and everything. Mm. And I was freaking out because for me, the inspiration of scripture was the cornerstone of everything. Everything hinged on that. All my right. beliefs hinged on that because right. that's the source of my beliefs. So uh, if the Bible's in question, then everything's in question. So my that was the beginning of my deconstruction and I was just maybe 23 years old, 24 years old. Wow. And it finally culminated in when I experienced peace of mind finally in 2009. How many years is that? That's a long, long time. So my deconstruction was kind of like a, 
a glacial melt that it just gradually is like somebody inserted a corrupt code in my computer yeah. and it just ate away and and uh corrupted my files <laughs> yeah yeah and to the point where and and so it, there, there was a, like I described it before. It was just like this constant theological angst, an underlying anxiety about what's true and how can all this fit. And you know, and I I delved into meditation and Buddhism and Hinduism and quantum physics and philosophy and Judaism. Yeah, I I I was trying. I I was going everywhere trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to put all this together. So. Um, that my my deconstruction was more of this underlying low, low grade fever yeah. that I experienced all the way through my ministry. Whereas for others, it's like I don't believe this anymore. I'm done, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't mine. That wasn't my experience. It's yeah. it's different for everybody. And I wanted to ask yeah. you about being scary because it was for me, and I think it's it is for a lot of people. So much to the point where they won't even start. Because I, I oh, call yeah. it like you've built your your faith on a house of cards. It's right. like it's literally like a house of cards. And if I pull one thing out, yeah. they think the whole thing is going to collapse and I'll have nothing. And that was that was my fear, you know. Yeah. And I try to encourage people and say, you know, every time I've lost something, I've gained something else. Mm-hmm. When people ask me like where I am now, I'm like, my faith is stronger now than it's ever been. It's mm-hmm. completely different. <laughs> it's completely mm-hmm. different. Yeah. But it's. But now it's built on a solid foundation as opposed to this house of cards. It's interesting. The uh, fear is weird, uh, but fear is a major factor um, that controls us. I do remember lying in my bed um, one night. Um, my wife's a nurse. She was working and um, it was. I just quit the ministry. And I was lying there in bed and I was like, what have I done? what have I done? Like, what if I'm wrong? You know, that, that, and that Mm -hmm. cold fear descended on me. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, it's like, I don't believe any of that anymore. And yet at the same time, I was scared. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like as an adult, you know, I know there's no monsters, but you go down that weird staircase into the basement and you know the, once in a while your stomach flips <laughs> right know? right it doesn't, doesn't make any sense it's not rational but um i have a lot of people reach out to me and say what do i do with this fear like i'm afraid and it's like you know eventually it fades but it's it, it might echo once in a while but it just it'll fade to a whisper and then finally to a faint echo and then finally just an occasional echo mm-hmm. but you know it's just it fear has a weird way of uh you know bursting to the surface again yeah. even though there's no rational reason to be afraid well these things get embedded so deeply in us that mm. for me i think it's always kind of there so every once in a while one of the crazies will comment on one of my youtube videos and says you're leading people to hell or you know someone says you know because you don't believe there's a hell that means you're going to hell you know that little tiny voice in the back of your head goes what if they're right yeah, but but then I've got so much more saying. Yeah, no, that's crazy. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, I know. And then then and then people say, well, you're you're listening to the crowds rather than the narrow way. You know, the few and mm-hmm. uh, the elect, whatever. I I get it all. I I hear it all the time. But um, it it comes to the 
the place. I, I was just um, emailing somebody this morning where uh, they were expressing this fear. And, and for me, I, I, I shared with them, once you realize there's nothing to fear, then everything's okay. Mm-hmm. You, you're free to be yourself and you're free to be your authentic self and to believe what you want and to choose how to be spiritual. Once that fear is gone, once you realize there's nothing to fear, it's funny, you know, that I'm not, I'm not sure if this is exactly true, but they say, mm-hmm. do not fear is, is, is said 365 times in the Bible. I don't know if that's actually a fact or, or not, but I, I, I don't disbelieve it. It said a lot. Yeah, I don't it's know the number, but it said a lot. Yeah. Do not, do not be afraid. Do not fear or or whatever. And and yet um fear is one of the primary tools religion uses to keep us under under control, right? So um if we can just abide by that, those verses and say, you know what, I'm not gonna be afraid anymore mm-hmm. and see what happens. And I I tried that and it, it is amazing when you're not afraid and you realize nothing's gonna you know, that there's nothing to fear, then um, that that peace of mind can grow. Yeah. And mm. I, I'm sure you get the, uh, well, just read your Bible, right? You get that from oh, people. <laughs> yeah. I get it so much. I get it so much. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I have cartoons about that, actually. What they really mean is you need to read the Bible like I read the Bible. Exactly. And you need to believe the Bible the same way I believe the Bible. Right. And, um, but I, you know, I don't want to keep having to say, have you read my bio? Like, seriously, I, 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 I've got all my Bibles from my teen years and everything all colored, underlined and everything right. margins. Plus I have years of biblical Greek, years of biblical Hebrew, you know, Aramaic even, and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And you're telling me have I read the Bible. So well, it's kind of, I, I, I laugh at it too because I've I, not as much as you, but I've read the Bible a lot, and then I've read all these books about Bible, biblical history. You know where the Bible came from, and, and the, the castle, yeah. the, nice, the Nicene Castle, and, and all this stuff, and Const- Constantine or whatever the dude's name was. So I'm like, the thing is, we, I started kind of chuckling when you said I started my deconstruction when when I was in seminary. That is like a lot of pastors are not believers anymore. Once they go through seminary, mm-hmm. they realize that. This doesn't make any sense, but then they have to go preach it. Yeah, I know pastors who are in the ministry uh, who, well, I know pastors who, I, I, rem- I, w- I remember being in a classroom in my master's, and this guy freaked out, and he said, I, I don't believe this anymore. I just don't, and like he was on on the eve of his ordination yeah and he's like i i i'm done and he got up and he went out of the classroom but before he left he turned the lights out (laughs) oh (laughs) very symbolic gesture wow and uh and and then i do know pastors who are in the ministry who who aren't believers anymore um and they really struggle and Mm. uh, some though they see it. My job is not to, um, I'm not their guru. I'm here to encourage them to figure out their own faith. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm here to assist them in their own spiritual journey without judgment. Um, 
I think that's valid. And then there's other pastors who are in the ministry, like you say, who don't believe anymore. And they really, really do struggle with having to get up every week and pretend. Mm-hmm. And um, so that I, I feel a lot of empathy for them. Yeah. Me, yeah. Me too. Mm-hmm. So um, tell me a little bit more about your, the lasting supper community. Is that an online community? How does that work? Is it a Facebook group or how does, how does it work? <clears throat> well, it's undergoing um, renovations right now, but um, how it all started was uh, we had online forums. Uh, I've decided mm-hmm. I don't like online forums. It's too clunky and old fashioned for me, but uh, I send out a, a weekly letter. Um, we would have like a weekly or monthly um, webinars, like group things. We'd call them Zoom meetings now where mm-hmm. we have live or, or Facebook lives or whatever. We have a a private um, Facebook group. Okay. Um, and then, um, but a new feature that I'm adding is I have a whole bunch of courses around deconstruction and so on um, that I'm going to instead of trying to promote my courses separately, I'm going to make them a part of the lasting supper package. So it's going to be quite a, quite a big deal. And I've got a lot of work to do <laughs> to get, yeah. make it work, but okay. you know, there's a couple hundred members now. I, I don't want it to get huge. Uh, I like the smallness and manageability of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, facilitating moderating online community is a full-time job. It's, it's really a lot of work yeah. yeah. and with more people there are, the more work it is. So I need to figure out that aspect, how we're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I and I just realized recently, since I, I follow you on Facebook, that you do, you also do a commission artwork, right? People, people like their cartoons, you'll do a commission work for them. Yeah, I do. I do commissions on, on paintings and also on cartoons mm-hmm. and also tattoos. So, um, yeah, I'm always working on commission piece. So uh i i have a lot of fun with that but yeah, yeah. i get I, I get requests quite often to to do commission work so I, i'm also i'm curious where you are in your spiritual journey now do you still identify as christian or how do you identify well i don't um this is also a theme in my cartoons is that i'm i'm not interested in labels uh so the contents of a can doesn't need to know what it is it knows what it is Mm. labels for those on the outside Mm. and so often people come and say what's your label um because they want to they there's a lot of anxiety behind that wanting to know uh, how do i talk to you you know yeah yeah how do i relate to you what slot do i put you in exactly Um, i no longer feel that compulsion to um figure out what kind of label the person is um and um and and so what I tell people is that my home is in Christianity, but I have cottages everywhere. Mm. Christianity is definitely my family of origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I respect my roots and appreciate my roots, but I don't let them limit me either. And um, de- and Christianity, Christian theology, and so on is definitely a part of my DNA, but that's not all of me. And mm. and and so that's pretty much what I say when people ask me that question. Yeah. No, I'm very comfortable. Uh, I, you know, there's a a church that's about an hour away when Lisa and I can get there, we'll go, we'll hang out. 
Uh, I have no problem fellowshipping with anybody, um, you know, uh, except maybe white supremacists, <laughs> etc. Yeah. And um, and not maybe definitely. Yeah. And um, so to me, that's that's how I answer that question. The, yeah. The label is facing outward. Um, I no longer feel I need the label. Yeah. Others, when they ask me um, what's the label. It's usually a long answer, just like the one I gave you. <laughs> I think that's perfectly fair because you're right. People, I, I just wanted to ask you questions to see how you how you responded to it. And I, I was uh, yeah. there are a couple of churches that I still really like. And I was talking to someone the other day. They said they were looking for you know a community, and I'm mm-hmm. like, I like unity, and I like UCC United Church of Christ. Those are the last two churches that I attended when I was going to church. But I asked the pastor at the Unity Church one day. I said we were sitting in a little get together. I said would you call us a Christian church? And she gave me an answer that was just as long as the one you just gave, which I loved because it's like, yeah, the, the roots are still in, in the gospel. They do read gospel every day or every week, every Sunday, but they also read from other spiritual traditions. They're like, yeah. you don't have to believe in Jesus. If you do, that's great. If you yeah. want to be an atheist and come here, that's fine. So I love that answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a Unitarian Universalist church locally here for mm-hmm. a while, but uh, ended up closing. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was it was weird uh, because uh, it was the exact opposite of my experience in the vineyard, where there was a lot of obsessive compulsive behavior to constantly be talking about God, and in the Unitarian Universalist Church, there seemed to be a lot of compulsive, uh, <laughs> obsessive compulsive, uh, not wanting to mention God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was kind of a weird kind of a two sides of the same coin, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and, there, and I get always because there's unity, there's United Church of Christ, there's Universalist Unitarian, there's a, a there's there all the so the, you have to be very careful when you're using these labels because they are very they can be very different sometimes. But uh, yeah, it's you know I, I like I said I appreciate your answers to that question. I struggle. Um, I still I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. Mm-hmm. I I expect when I die I could possibly see Jesus. I think he's a, a an incredible figure that's unique somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't like the label Christian because of what it's become. So mm-hmm. I don't identify as Christian anymore. Um, I, I finally get to the point where I'm comfortable s- saying that. So it's like it's it's too complicated to to give all the caveats. It's interesting. Somebody today, um, I I uh, I'll, I'll do cartoons about evangelicalism or whatever, and. Um, so, for example, I, I did a cartoon a while ago of uh, there's a church and there's a big church sign out front in the yard that says First Evangelical Christian Church. And Jesus is walking away. It's nighttime and Jesus is walking away with a spray can and he's spray, sprayed out Christian. Mm. Um, and because I think evangelicalism, that word evangelical, evangelicalism has been beaten up beyond recognition right. uh, because of what's happening in the, you know, with the right wing kind of stuff. And <clears throat> evangelical used to be a fairly respected kind of uh, theological movement. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's lost that. I mean, it's, it's lost that now it's, it's an object of scorn now. And um, this person was still trying to defend evangelical, and the root word means good news and blah blah. Right. Blah. 
more power to you, man. But, uh, you know, maybe a resurrection in the future. But right now, evangelical, that whole word and everything associated with it is in the garbage. It's 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 yeah. beyond recognition. I agree. How far can you stretch it? And, and that's the same thing for, for right. me. How, how can I keep defending this and saying, but but that's not the true evangelical. That's not the true this, you know. <laughs> um, I, I One time I was calling myself a fundamentalist because I'm like, I'm going back to what I believe Jesus believed. But fundamentalism has been, you know, corrupted. Okay, so yeah. I, yeah. I'm just, I'm like you now. I'm like, for, I don't have a, I, I tell people I practice Brianism. Um, I, I, I've studied Buddhism. I've studied Brianism. It's about oh. what I, what, what I, what I put yeah. together. Uh, yeah. Exact opposite of what they told me in Sunday school. It's like I've studied Hinduism, Kabbalah, you know, Buddhism, a um, little right. bit of Islam, Christianity, yeah. quantum physics, you know, yeah. near-death experiences, yeah. wherever I can find truth is what I study. So for me, the um, the more I read and listen and so on, the, when you when you read Christian mystics, for example, um, Meister Eckhart or the Cloud of Unknowing or any other Christian mystics, um, some people might refer to Richard Rohr or some some people like that, Thomas Merton. Mm-hmm. And then you you uh, um, you read some quantum physics, uh, Carlo Rovelli, um, you know his his work on on physics and so on. Um, David Bohm. Uh, I just read a biography of Einstein by Isaacson. Fascinating. I mean, they they would most people would claim they were all atheists, but and then you you read uh, some philosophy like um, Slavoj Žižek, who's a living philosopher right now, or Hegel, or you know others. It's like they when when you read across this sort of uh, diverse spectrum, they seem to be sort of talking the same kind of language, you know, mm-hmm. and um, they might not agree with one another, but I'm hearing overtones. I'm hearing the same theme. There's a common thread through mysticism and uh, science and philosophy and so on that that's where I'm at. And when, when, when somebody tries to pull it down into Christian theology, it, it, it um, limits it. Mm -hmm. It loses its breadth and universal, um, you know, appeal. So that, that's for me, I'm like you, the Christian, uh, it it needs to. I, I think Christianity needs to seriously. I don't know how it's going to do it. Seriously re-examine itself um, because it's for many people Christianity is based in some might say Christ or Jesus, whatever. Mm-hmm. But for yeah. many, it's based in the Great Commission, which is basically a colonialistic attitude right. towards the world. Right. How are you going to undo that? And stay yeah. Clear. I think it's, I, I hate to say, I think it's beyond redemption. And I, I was talking to my daughter, you know, yesterday, we we're talking about the, the, the labels Christianity. My daughter's 25 and she's, uh-huh. uh, she's not, a, she doesn't identify as Christian at all. Um, and I was like, I said, everybody loves Jesus. Jesus is universally loved. Everybody loves Jesus. Jews, everybody, atheists, everybody uh-huh. loves Jesus, but Christianity is blah, not so much. So I don't know. I don't know how it's going to work out. I've, I've just, I've walked away. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hear you. Yeah, my kids are the same. They wouldn't identify as Christian. Yeah. They'd identify as spiritual, however. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, David, I really appreciate your time. It's been really great getting to know you. Tell yeah. people where they can find out more about you. Well, nakedpastor.com. That's my home base. That's base camp and everything from there. I'm Naked Pastor on all social media from, you know, uh, Twitter to Facebook to LinkedIn to Instagram to TikTok to YouTube. Um, and uh, nakedpastor.com, though, is where you can find everything. You can sign up for my weekly newsletters. I've got all my cartoons are on there for prints or art or tattoos or whatever. So, yeah, that's my home base. Well, again, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure meeting you. Yeah, and likewise. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grieftogrowth.com. Hey there, if you liked this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.